Metalheads, and welcome to episode eight of our Little Mountain Sound series. Finally, eighteen? Is it eighteen? Oh, yeah. eight, eight, <laughs> eight of eleven. Eight of eleven. All right. Yeah, I say so. So we'll get the other tree out in sometime before twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, obviously, this week, uh, probably tell from the beginning of the show, we're talking to uh, Jamie St. James. Yeah. Um, when did we talk to him? That was a we while talked back. to him in December eleventh, twenty fifteen. Yeah, was, in fact, my voice was total shit. That's so, right, Jack. I'm not talking like this. <laughs> <laughs> I did and, most of the uh, talking, didn't I? You did do most of the talking. Okay, and right. uh, we also had a. Uh, uh, f- that was about the time that we were having flaky connections. That's right. Oh yeah, and he was on a cell phone. He even said it beforehand, didn't he? he uh, like, well, I we said beforehand, hey, if it happens, you know, shit happens. Uh, yeah, but uh, and then yeah, so there's a there's a dropout in the middle, yeah, but uh, we. Get all back together, but yeah, it's kind of, I know, listening back now, it's like, oh yeah, we talked about all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I often heard it at all. Yeah, to see, this is the thing about some of these interviews when we do the projects. We'll come down and we'll do the front end, and I, I can't remember most of it. Yeah, and it's only when I listen to the show when you send it to me, it's like, oh yeah, I forgot I asked him that, you know, and it's like, but I'm trying to think, did we speak to Bob Rock before Jamie? Yeah. We did. Yeah. And Mike Fraser was probably before Jamie as well. The first part of Mike Fraser was. Yeah, that's right. So these interviews are pretty old. Yeah. But uh we just got backed well, up. Well then again. again all the albums we're talking about are pretty old too. Yeah. <laughs> well they yeah. They're, they're still the same albums and yeah. nothing has changed really. Yeah. But um when did Black and Blue come on your radar? Uh the first album. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. I remember it in, you know, vinyl. So, uh, yeah, that's like the first album. Yeah, the first album I got was In Heat, which was their last one. Wow. Um, 88, I believe. Hmm. And uh, really liked it. Um, then I got Nasty Nasty. And it, it was it was only years after that that I got Without Love because um couldn't get it on CD for a long time. Yeah. When, you know, a lot of these 80s bands, that their CDs never got released. Right. Yeah. Or, well, I could probably get a Japanese import for... A gazillion dollars. True. Yeah. Um, but I've, you know, I'd, I, I loved the band at the time. The two albums they had, um, they, they, did they have much MTV airplay, radio no, airplay? No, 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 no radio airplay at all. Nothing. Yeah. They, um, and they, I mean, it was yeah. I mean, they would uh, occasional headbangers ball kind of thing, but not regular rotation. No. Yeah, because when, when you listen to their albums, um. They're, they're, they're still good records. Like some of the eighty stuff hasn't held up at all, and and the band, some of these bands were far bigger than Black and Blue. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, their albums are pretty varied. Um, if you listen to, uh, especially Nasty Nasty, um, the power ballad on it is written by Jonathan Cain, and it sounds completely out of place on the record. Yeah. Um, In Heat is a, a different album to Nasty Nasty. Now maybe that hurt them, that they didn't have a. A sound, yeah. Um, 
but I think that's one of the reasons that their albums still sound good today. That they didn't, you know, they didn't have the uh, the syrupy ballads. They didn't have the, the you know, the eighties reverb sound and gang yeah. choruses yeah. and but even you know, musicians. Even, you know, Jamie talked about because you asked him about label involvement and stuff. Yeah, he talked about even you know on without a love that they were already starting to have you know trying to put co-writers in there and things like that. So yeah. Yeah, they did stand their ground a bit when it came to writing. Um, Jamie wrote most of the material. Yeah. And I think when Gene Simmons got involved, he had some, some co-writes. And, uh, he well, might he taken rock and roll, yeah, you know. He, he might have taken some uh, some songs, like if you listen to Nasty Nasty <laughs> and listen to uh, Domino from Revenge. No. No? No, no Gene no, would what, never do anything like that. Just like the Led that. Zeppelin case? Nothing. Gene, <laughs> no, uh, he is... I mean, just like the fact that rock and roll is dead because Gene says so. I mean, oh, no. Yeah, but they had, I'm trying to remember, who did their first album? Was it Tom Allen? And uh, then they no, had, Dieter. Dieter Dirks did the, oh yeah, yeah, Dieter did the first one, then they had Bruce, Yeah, and then Gene for two, uh-huh. and then they were done. Yeah. Um, they just never broke. They were on Geffen. Yeah. Big, big label, Guns N' Roses label, big, big label. Just never happened for them. Never came, of course, never came over to the UK much I think they came over on their debut and um, I do remember speaking to Jamie about that yeah um, but um, yeah just really liked the band I still I still crank in heat and nasty nasty and without love every now and again still love the albums yeah um, they're still going I think a lot of people probably know them from because of Tommy Tear yeah that yeah. Tommy's yeah, very from, true. Uh, from Kiss and uh, he came from that band and as far as I know when they play now it's still the four of them uh-huh. Um, but they're still on good terms, I believe, with Tommy. And yeah. I think every now and again he steps in, huh. if he can, Yeah, plays some the odd show with when him. When he's allowed to. When, mm. Does he have to wear the boots? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Does Gene get like a yes. third of the merch? So when they do a nasty, nasty, <laughs> he starts playing domino, does he? Yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. there you go. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah, so anyways, yeah, I mean, it is weird to go back and, uh, you know, here it is, uh, you know, was this like first week of summer and uh, we're talking about how damn cold it is in winter and yeah well that's what happens when you do projects like this especially well this one was long and it's my fault it's probably a little bit too long but a lot of people really like these and but I think when you get caught up in with a studio it's like yeah. where do you end well this is not any longer than than uh, strange highways it's just that uh, we've just gotten a lot of other things that that come our way now, then we, you know, we, we've got a lot of things coming our way when we did Strange Highway, but it seems like now we have even more things coming our way than than we had then, you know? Yeah, like one of the things we don't get done enough I'd like to do is more discussion, but when you have, when you're trying to jam two interviews in a show, yeah. you end up with the show from last week that ends up an hour and a half long. Uh-huh. And you want it really an hour-ish. You don't want it really, really too long because people will look at the length of that and they'll go, nah. Maybe I'll, I'll take an hour, an hour and ten minutes, maybe. But if you like do something that's nearly two hours long, they mightn't, they mightn't bother with it. Well, I mean, depending it, on who you have. No, we always work for Bob too, having multiple interviews and stuff. So it's, uh, you know, yeah, uh, but he does one every six months. He, well, he's a busy guy. I know he's but, got. Uh, well, the inside metals yeah. out now. Yeah, I'm sure you've ordered it, have you? Uh no. Oh, no, I'll, I'll have to order. But uh, yeah, I just. I, I don't think it's I don't think it's too bad because you can you can take it in chunks too and just like listen to one one interview and you know listen to the other one later or whatever so yeah yeah but um something like this though it's again it's 
all these people say yes. Yeah. Well, I ask them, and I probably shouldn't ask a, a lot, all of them, but you know, when you, Mike Fraser helped me in the beginning, giving me all these names, and then they all come on, and they're all really like it, and yeah, they want to know when the next episode is on, and they hit me back saying, "Yeah, that was great." And Mike said, you know, Mike sent me an email saying he's learning stuff, yeah. he, and he worked there for fifteen years, or yeah. whatever more, yeah, and he says he's learning stuff from what we're doing on this, which is that's a nice compliment to get, you know. Yeah, sure, coming from Mike. Yeah, yeah, but um. Yeah, he's doing the new Airborne album in Australia at the oh. moment. So he's still busy, busy. But um, yeah, Jamie still doing shows. I don't know how active they are anymore. They're probably one of these bands that might do fly-ins, maybe some of the Rocklahomas yeah. and stuff like right. that. Yeah, yeah. But um, I know Jamie, I think, was out of the business for, for a long time. Uh-huh. I think in the, the 2000s and came back with the band. They brought an album out a couple of years ago called Hell Yeah, which is which is very good as well. Yeah. Still yeah. Ha- they still have the sound. Sure. He still has the touch. Yeah. And uh I'd 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 actually love to see him live. I'd, yeah. I don't think I'll ever get the chance though. I think they're one of these West Coast bands. Yeah. Well you never know. There. You never know. But it was a good interview. Um you'll remember it when you hear it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh but uh yeah I mean great guy, great guy to talk to, real easy going. Um had a lot of stuff to say. Uh, this is probably one of the ones that was uh, of the artist ones that probably stayed more focused on actually on the studio than I think all the others did. Yeah, well, <clears throat> Jamie wrote all the songs. Yeah. And anyone who's listened to any of the other episodes, Bruce Fairburn is big into prep before they go in. Yeah. So if he's writing the bulk of the songs, he's going to remember a lot of what he did with Bruce. Yeah, yeah. And this album as well, uh, I think it was 85. So you're, I think this is... Tony Frank, you're ta- when you're talking about that studio becoming massive, this is before it became massive. Yeah. This is pre-Slippery When Wet. I think Tony Franklin was 88. Karavi mm-hmm. was 94, of course. And yeah. That, that the studio was massive. And, yeah. And I've got Blake Sakamoto from Dan Reed Network, and that, that's 88 as well and, and 91. So yeah. this is when the studio was a little bit smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but Jamie was, yeah, he had some good stories. Yeah, yeah. He really definitely. did. So uh, I think uh, we should uh, roll the interview and let everyone hear the stories. Th- this album has, I believe, Bruce, Bob Rock, and Mike on. Yes, it Mike does. Fraser. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it does. And, we, and he talks about that in the interview. Yeah, that's a handy, <laughs> that, that's a pretty good team. Yeah, yeah especially <laughs> when you go up and you don't expect to get that team. No, yeah. well, imagine. Well, of course, Bruce has passed away now. But if if you got Bob Rock and and Mike now, I'd say yeah. it'd be a, a bit more expensive than they were in '85. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's uh, let's roll it. Let everyone hear what uh, Jamie St. James has to say about uh, recording without love in uh, the wonderful Little Mountain Studios in Vancouver. All right, guys, I, I think we're ready to lay this first track down. Take one, roll. Let's take it again. And Gene, yeah. really explore the studio space this time. You got it, Bruce. I mean, really. Yeah. Explore the space. I like what I'm hearing. Go away. 
just wasted two good tracks. This last one was even better than the first. It doesn't work for me. I gotta have more cowbell. I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell. <laughs> Jamie St. James from Black and Blue and as part of our Little Mountain Sound project uh, we I, have, I asked to get Jamie on to talk about uh, the second album Without Love that he recorded in Little Mountain Sound. So how are we doing today Jamie? I'm doing great. Okay. good. Alright that's excellent. So um, it's gonna be good he's out there he's, in the west coast warm weather. Yeah snow here. Yeah. <laughs> we get snow yeah, and no, traffic no. you just get traffic. <laughs> we just get traffic. It's 75 degrees in here, so I'm yeah. talking. <laughs> That's about 25 here, just outside of Boston. Ah! Oh, no. <laughs> oh, well, we got to live somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so after you did the first album, Jamie, with Dieter Dirks, um, of course, you started thinking about album number two. Uh, did you want to work with Dieter again? Um, I, I think it was a possibility. But we just kind of like kept our options open, and uh, we wanted to see, you know, what other possibilities there were. Guess the Records was pretty good about that, letting us kind of decide who we wanted to work with, and then they would, you know, go about trying to make it happen. So I don't know. Um, we did the thing in Germany. We just wanted to see what what else we might, you know, might could happen. You know? So yeah. So when when you sat down then to, uh, as a band, you probably had a list of producers that you wanted to work with. Um, was Bruce on your initial list? Yeah, we had a list, and I don't even remember all the uh, different producers who were on, but Bruce was one of them. And uh, and we thought, you know, well, this, you know, he gives a pretty good sound for this Loverboy thing he's doing up there. And if there was like more of a heavy band, maybe this could work out kind of cool. He sounds, sounds like he's doing something right. And we didn't really know of all the angles or not, but we, you know, he was on our list. Okay. And when we went in, we went into Geffen and started talking about who we wanted to possibly use. And basically, John Collander at Geffen, you, he said, you guys are smarter than you look. You, you, you guys uh, picked somebody great, but, but that's, that has to come with Bob Rock as well. So that might be something to look at. So. Okay, so and when I'm sure you were happy probably to go up to Vancouver. It's a little bit closer than Germany to work in. <laughs> yeah, they got a lot of hot chicks in Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> They do, and they all tend to work in these clubs, and they dance for you and stuff. It's a pretty prime opportunity. Oh, you kidding me? It's a kid in the candy store up there. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, it's interesting, too, that of all the folks that we've talked to about Little Mountain, that, that uh, you know, you guys were probably the closest of any band, you know, geographically to that studio as well. And, 
kind of, you know, did you guys know about that studio at all, you know, before going up there? Was that kind of a, did you kind of consider it almost a local place? No, you know, I mean, the band was formed, Black and Blue was formed in Portland, Oregon, so we were pretty close. Yeah. But I didn't know that. I really didn't know about it because we didn't do a lot of recording in those days. Any recording we did do was down in Los Angeles. And so, basically, we went with Bruce Fairburn, and then Bob Roth got brought into the mix. And they're the ones that introduced us to Little Mountain. They said, you guys got to come up here. We got this great studio. So it it was like kind of a package thing. So Little Mountain came with those guys with their idea. But I'm really glad they did an excellent studio. So it was a a good thing. And and we were pretty early on in that thing. That was 1985. So Yeah. Yeah. So tell us, Jamie, about the the first time you met Bruce Fairburn. Did he talk about what sort of record he wanted to make with you guys and how long it was going to take? Um, just, Just tell us about your initial meetings with Bruce. I um you know I think we sent sent some demos up you know we I basically never met until we flew into Canada I think it was like a, a pretty much a done deal because Geffen really backed our idea and uh, so I met him when we went up there we we flew up to Canada and we had just kind of a little uh, chill time we didn't do much except he took us up to Mount Whistler to go skiing up uh, up there he had some kind of a, of a lodge up there. So we all went skiing. That's the first thing we did. We didn't record a note yet. <laughs> ah, that's not bad. That's a, that's a pretty good deal. And, uh, and of course, you know, that's a hell of a package deal too, right? To get a great studio. And then also just this, you know, insanely killer team behind it. Yeah. You know, it was, uh, and we, and we weren't, uh, you know, we didn't know exactly how great Bob Rock was as an engineer. So have Bruce Fairburn and Bob Rock. And then, Mike Frazier was just our second engineer plugging stuff in, so we had a hell of a team. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so t- tell me, Jamie, about, uh, you submit the songs to Bruce. Um, does he literally pull them all apart? Um, or did you submit, like, tw- you know the way some bands in that, that at that time, they'd send, like, 25 or 30 songs in, and the producer would pick 10. Uh, how did that work with Bruce? Yeah, he, he definitely had songs that he... I believe him and the record company were kind of staring us into a, a, a little bit direct, different direction than the first record. Yeah. And Bruce heard songs right away that he said, that's a great tune, that's yeah, that's perfect. He'd heard, listen to other songs that said, I really like the song, but let's change the lyrics. You know, don't like the title, let's change some lyrics. He did pick some stuff apart a little bit. Um, but basically we had, we had a bunch of songs and he wanted us to keep writing. That was his deal. So when we got up there, he hooked me up with uh, Jim Valance, who writes a lot with Brian Adams and a lot of a lot of people. And so, like the single, the first single off that album was called Miss Mystery. All I had was the chorus for that. So me and Tommy Thayer and Jim Valance got together at his house and and worked. You know, I I started singing on the chorus, and they go, "That's the one. That's the one we're going to work on." So we started putting that together between me, Tommy, and uh, Jim, and, and it came together really well. So we were, and we were writing stuff all along. Uh, the song Without Love was Jim Ballant's music, and he gave it to me and said, what would you do with this lyric and, and melody-wise? So we were continuing to write while we were there. Yes. So that was just kind of a, a work in progress. Okay, so now, when Bruce suggested working with Jim Valance, what was your initial thoughts? Like, were you, oh, no way, we, we write as a band ourselves, you don't want an outside songwriter, or did you actually embrace it? Oh, initially, I thought, "What? Who the hell is this guy? I don't, I don't need him." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I got me and Tommy did just fine, but uh, 
I, I guess it wasn't, you know, I can't, Tommy and I kept it up in mind and said, well, what, what the heck, let's see what he's got to offer. We can always say, no, it sucks, uh, which we wouldn't be afraid to do. But it turned out, you know, he was a really good songwriter. And it, 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 was a, it, was a good, it was a good experience. And he was a really good guy. And he had some good ideas. And when we said, no, that's not right, there was a couple ideas thrown at us that we were saying, no way Black and Blue's playing that. But, uh, you know, for the most part, it was a, it, it turned out to be a, a good experience. But, yeah, at first I was a little bit kind of thrown by it. But, yeah, you got to stay open-minded sometimes. Yeah, now when Jim came and, and wrote with you guys, um, you would have gone in with the songs originally. Like, like was the finished version on the record a, a lot different to the, your version, or, or did he just tweak it here or there? Well, some of the songs that were tweaked were, were just, like, lyric-wise. Like, there's a song on the record called Swing Time. Well, that's not what it was called at first. It was called Blame It on the Neighborhood. And it was like a more of a raucous kind of a... You know, we're a bunch of punks in the neighborhood causing a lot of trouble kind of thing. Yeah. And he, Bruce, Bruce just didn't like that lyrically. So I had to go in and, and rewrite all the lyrics, which is hard to do in that when they're all set in my mind, and I thought they were great. But uh, I was like, okay, let's see what I can do here. And then the, the same thing with uh, Rocket on Heaven's Door, which is, I think, the opening track on the record. That was initially called Rock and Roll Animals. So he tried to soften me up lyrically a little bit because I, I I could tend to be kind of crude and rude. So, <laughs> I, you know that that kind of stuff. Musically, um, we were pretty spot on with what we were doing. There was a really good song on the record called "Strange Things" that kind of took a studio life of its own. We had a very skeletal structure of it, and I was talking to Bob Rock and said, "You know, I want this to sound like." Like, a, like an old Alice Cooper type thing, Bob Ezra-ish, you know, mm. with some kind of clean vocals in there, uh, you know, and, and and he got it. And Bruce was like, kind of like, what do you mean with clean vocals? I don't get it. And, and Bob goes, I know what he's talking about. Let's do it. And so there was just a lot of work that happened in the studio, which I think was kind of cool. Because yeah. like with the first record, first record, every one of those songs were written start to finish, and they pretty much did the same, except, you know, Dieter really honed you know, as far as the, the sound and a lot of the guitar work and, um, you know, you really worked with us a lot of details. But this one, we kind of, you kind of came together as we were there at Little Mountain. A lot of it. Some of the songs were there from day one, um, but uh, a lot of it just kind of happened. Like Stop the Lightning, which is a cool song on the record, that was pretty close to what it was originally, except that they just, they just have more production. Yeah. Now, you mentioned strange things. Whose idea was it to have a snippet of Danny Boy at the end of that?
surprise Think I leave this dream behind The rats are dancing in the waves again One final shot, shot Relieves me of this nightmare The face of death I see We actually went to another studio just to record some, I can't remember if it was backing vocals, or to record some other parts on it, because we were doing something else at Little Mountain, so we, we were going to run in two studios at once, and I went over there, big probably with Bob, and we were flying stuff in, so we needed some, we borrowed, we, we took some, like, half-inch tape from that studio and recorded a bunch of stuff on it, and we were flying it in, and... And, and all of a sudden, that voice just came exactly where it's at on the record and ended right there. That's all. It was on the tape. We, we, we stopped recording, and that happened to be on the tape that they gave us. And I said, <laughs> stop everything. I go, what is that? What the hell is that? And I go, oh, that's this old guy that comes and records every now and then. I go, go to touch it. It's perfect. <laughs> I, it, it, we, we didn't have to move it in the track at all. It's exactly what I heard the first time it, it happened. Bizarre. Uh, that's that's classic stuff. I remember doing a, a CD back in the, the late '80s, and there was a section where we quite hadn't you know worked out the guitar solo yet, so we kind of were leaving this space. And so for the engineer, just for the heck of it, he filled that space with these uh, just this track after track from a sound effects record. And we went back in. The guitar player was ready to go, and he's playing this thing, and he goes, "What the hell is that?" And it fit exactly perfect in the song and it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek song called safe sex blues and we ended up no guitar solo left it in and uh, you know a couple years ago we asked about hey can we recut that song and i was like dude don't you remember that that whole section was a total complete mistake i couldn't redo that if i tried i, I love those studio accidents yeah it, it, it's it's an awesome thing when it happens i would have never in a million years thought to have a guy sing a danny boy at the end of the song <laughs> but it's but it's all strange things you know and it was just it was just spot on and and the funniest thing about it that old guy doesn't even know he's on a record <laughs> <laughs> who yeah. needs a who needs a release right <laughs> no no we didn't even bother i said do we need to get some kind of release with this guy? Go, he doesn't know anything. He wanders in here every now and then. We don't even know who he is. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, Jamie, I want to talk to you about um, recording the vocals for that. Um, there must have been a lot of effort gone, gone into the vocals because you listen to like Stop the Lightning and Strange Things. There's harmony vocals, background vocals, like the whole nine yards are on that. Can you tell me uh, how Bruce uh, recorded the vocals with you guys? Well, I did a lot. I, most of the overdubs are me. If there's gang vocals, then it would probably have been me and Tommy and maybe Patrick, I, I guess. But a lot of it is me overdubbing. Like, Strange Things, that's all me. I, I That was my vision to have that queenish sound yeah. vocals doing the harmony things in the background. And, and and thank God Bob understood what I was talking about because Bruce really did it. And, I, and I'm the one who said, I gotta, we want to put a cello on here. Because I was envisioning, like, Alice Cooper, I Love the Dead, 
I wanted to have this cool sounding cello in there. And and the Silvers didn't get that song until the very end. Bob got it real quick. But but that's what they do with a lot of the vocals. Um just overdub, overdub, overdub. And that honest to God, the first album, every single song I sang with Dieter Dirks is with a fifty eight in the control room. I wasn't in a vocal booth or anything. Crazy. <laughs> and this time I was out in the big room, you know, with a big fancy mic and there's a lot of work for sure. Sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure though that when you were doing it with Dieter with a 58, that you'd probably been using a 58 on stage for years, so you knew exactly how to work that mic. You know where the where the you know kind of the bass trap was on the mic and how far away you needed to be from it in certain sections and all that. Yeah, it felt really normal. I had it on a, on a mic stand and I just had, had, had hang on to it and I I knew exactly what to do with it. It's true. Yeah. Uh, and the, and the, the real expensive mics are a little more touchy, you know? Yeah, you go to that condenser mic, and it's like all of a sudden you got training wheels on again. Yeah. I actually blew one of them out. I blew out a, what is it, nine? Oh. Expensive mic. I, I'm so loud. I think very loud. Bob goes, oh, my God, he blew it up. Yeah, oh, those, yeah, those are like a... Uh, those are big buck mics. Yeah, those are the very delicate ribbon mics. And uh, yeah, no, any studio I've ever been in, when they break out one of those Neumanns, it's like the engineer is eagle-eyeing you the whole time, especially if you get a headstock on a guitar anywhere near one, they start flipping out. Yeah, definitely uh, uh, really nice. Well, mic, you know, they put, a wind, they put a windscreen in front of it, you know, and if I was far enough away from it, it wasn't like I was eating it, but I just put out a lot a lot of volume. So. Yeah. And as predicted at this moment, the communication dropped out. Well, I guess it was bound to happen. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, that's why it's it's good to be prepared, right? Right. Well, we had a we had a plan. There we go. All right, Jamie. So I want to ask you about uh, the keyboards on the record. Um, who played keyboards on it, and um, what were your initial thoughts on having keyboards on your record? I've never been really scared of keyboards. I was in a band before Black and Blue. Tommy Thayer and myself were, and we we had used keyboards in the past, you know, but Black and Blue was like, when we first formed, it was like, nah, 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 keyboard stuff. This is going to be a two-guitar-heavy band. But, you know, it it was, uh, I actually listened to the stuff being laid down, and I actually really liked it. The keyboards were all played by three different keyboard players. Doug, the keyboard player for Loverboy, uh, can't remember his last name right now. And then the two keyboard players from Toto, uh, Steve Bacall and Dave Page. Okay. They, uh, those were the three keyboard players that did all that stuff. And they did some pretty cool stuff, you know, some different kind of sounds. And it's not overwhelming, you know. It's just like a lot of that. It was a little... Uh, Doug from Leverboy did all the stuff in uh, Miss Mystery. And then the weird sounds, uh, Steve Bacall did a lot of cool weird sounds, like in Without Love, it's kind of... All this kind of stuff. Um... Good. I mean, we had three good players, you know, so it was a pretty, pretty, it was a nice addition, I thought. And I and I wasn't afraid of doing, I knew we were doing a bit more of a commercial record than the last one, so I, I knew that that was the road we were going on, and I've never been afraid of that kind of stuff, you know. I want to ask you about Miss Mystery, because when I put that on and I hear the guitar, it sounds like something off Brian Adams' Reckless. Um, which I think was a lot of it was recorded in in uh, Little Mountain. Was that was that delivered as well? Did they say, look, we want this clean tone on this track? Well, yeah, it needed a clean tone, and and because Jim Ballance was part of the writing team on that song, he was there a lot. He he liked to be there with the with the stuff he was involved with. He was only involved with this mystery and the song without love, yeah. and he'd come in and listen listen to the sound, and him and Bruce would talk about it. So I'm sure that they probably did that. I mean, they, they knew what they were doing when it was coming to those guitar tone, for sure. Yeah, 
Yeah, so um, when you finished the record and you heard it, were you absolutely thrilled with it, or were you thinking, hmm, I'm not sure? No, when I, when I listened to each track as it was being mixed, I thought, this is going to be huge. This is a great record. That's what I thought. I mean, I, I totally loved what I was hearing, and I, you know, I've always been a big fan of not just metal, but, you know, like Cheap Trick and stuff like that. Yeah. So I thought we had really pulled something off that was special, and I still do, you know, uh, I, I really do. And, and then, well, look, I had John Bon Jovi and Richie Sambora come up to me and say, look, the reason why we use those guys and use Little Mountain is because of Without Love record. We wow. listened to that record and said, we got it, and they did Slippery with Wet there. And they cornered me and told me that. So, did something right. Yeah, yeah, because I think the album sounds great. I, I think I don't know why the title track uh, wasn't huge. Um, it's got that well, it's got that huge eighties drum sound that little you know little mountain became famous for later in the in the in the eighties, and it's just as catchy as hell. going to be, well, it was the second single, single, but unfortunately, Geffen was kind of like, they release something, if it doesn't fly, on to the next, you know, and it, it didn't, the, the second single was without love, but they didn't push it at all. This mystery got to some decent play. Yeah. It, 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 charted, it charted pretty well. You know, it was the video and stuff and all that kind of thing. It's, it's, you know, it still gets played on satellite radio and all that stuff and cable radio and stuff these days, but it was a good, it was a, it was a nice tune. Yeah. You know, and, and one other thing that people don't really realize about me and Little Mountain is um, Loverboy was recording in the next studio over, and they were recording a Mutt Lang song called Love It Every Minute of It. They drug me over there, 
and I sang for like 10 or 12 hours on that song. Wow. So I was a vocal vocal maniac up there. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's, that's definitely cool. So because everyone we've talked to on the project, the people that have recorded up there, Everyone seemed to have some pretty, uh, you know, interesting or, or funny stories about things that, that went on during the sessions. Do you remember anything, you know, particularly that, uh, you know, you went away going, geez, I, you know, besides the Danny Boy thing of, you know, I, I can't believe that happened or just, you know, kind of a memory that stuck with you all this time? You know, I, I would just remember it, hearing things come together and I was like, wow, this is just, this is really So at the very end of the, of the whole session, we basically decided we were going to do a cover of Aerosmith's same old song and dance, hmm. just to for like a Japanese release, and that's the you know bonus track thing. And most of the guys had flown home. Me and Tommy Thayer were the only ones there, so the band was me, Tommy, Bob Rocker on guitar, uh, Matt, the drummer from Loverboy, and a bass player up there that was just insane guy named Spider, and then we, and we had a sax player, and we played the song literally live. <laughs> and that was our bonus track. It's on the it's on the CD that they sell now in the box set and stuff. But cool. that was kind of a fun experience doing that. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah. nice. Thought you were going to say, yeah, we were doing it, and uh, Stephen Tyler and Joe Perry walked in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they heard it. They said, not bad, not bad. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, so but a lot of the lot of, lot, of, lot of things that happened up there for me was being at the hotel, just having a blast. And I tell you, I had I had such fun in that city. Great city, uh, just. Man, I, I, I there was a bunch of bunch of kids showed up at my hotel and they had albums to sign. The first album to sign, I signed it. and I said, "What are you guys doing?" These kids are like 18, 19 years old. They come on up to my room. I ran over to Little Mountain. I stole a bunch of Lover Boys beer. I took it. I, I stopped at the store, bought a bunch of steaks and a hibachi, and I grilled steaks on my balcony. And the fire department came. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and they come in and all these kids are drinking beer and eating steaks. <laughs> wow, wow. Yeah, so I, I just want to ask you one more question, Jamie. The album, sure. the, the next album you worked on, you, you, of course, the next two you did with Gene Simmons. Now, what yeah. are the differences between the way Bruce Fairburn produces a record and Gene Simmons produces a record? Uh, you know what, Gene Simmons was a, a little bit... Um, a little bit more let us, you know, turn us loose, whatever we want to do, what you're going to do, and... Uh, I mean, he was more concerned about the budget, you know, how Gina is. Oh, but, yeah. uh, you know, but it, it basically it was, Gina's very, you know, he's, he was in, involved quite a bit. He was, he sat with us, rehearsals a lot, and he's very opinionated, obviously. And he should hear something he didn't like, and he goes, no, no, not that. But he would let us kind of do what we want. He would just say yes or no a lot. And he did get involved with the songwriting, and he would just kind of steer us into, you know, things lyrically and, you know, his, his, his philosophy on songwriting, you, you give it to us. But, um, you know, I think that, uh, yeah, it's different styles for sure. But, you know, it was, that's what we wanted. We, we kind of wanted to go in a different direction after that. Because, you know, look, when one, it, look, well, all our records I really like. But when it doesn't take off and go huge and sell a million, then you go try something else. You know? Just a little bit, you know, it's still black and blue. Sure. Yeah. And I would imagine, too, that if you had gone back to Little Mountain, then next thing you know, people would have been accusing you of like, oh, well, you went there because, you know, Bon Jovi went there. And, and no one would listen when, you you know, you guys would go, well, no, wait a minute, we were there first and they went there after us. And and uh, so, yeah, I could see also why, you'd, you know, you kind of want to go for the change and everything. Yeah. Um, you know, it was just, 
it was an idea because, and also we were on tour with Kiss, mm. um, and I just went, me and Tommy went to Gene's uh, hotel room and just said, "Look, you know, we're thinking about, you know, maybe you might want to work with us on the next record." And he was like, "I'd be a fool not to." So I mean, and so we were touring with Gene, so it was kind of a natural thing. It just kind of fell that way, you know. And uh, it seemed like the right thing to do at the time. And I think the Nasty Nasty record came out really cool. Yeah. Definitely different than. I mean, they all sound a little different. Right. But that's black and blue. Uh, when we write, those songs came out of Tommy and I for the most part, and we write differently. We're, we're influenced by a lot of different stuff. So that our, you can tell. I mean, it, it still has a black and blue flavor to it, but we have a lot of different, you know, a lot of different songwriting styles. Right. Yeah, I think. Um, I think a lot. All your albums, they, none of them sound exactly the same. Like if you put on In Heat, it's got a. That's very varied to me as well. And it's nasty, nasty is more of a of a hard rock record. Um, it's probably yeah. it's my it's got my favorite track of yours on it. Rules, I love that song. But um, oh, I, yeah, but the, in heat definitely is very varied, very varied for me. It is. It, it changes quite a bit. There's like real heavy stuff, and then there's it, I mean, we we basically this a lot of the songs were written at one time, and then Tommy and I kind of went off our own and started writing some other stuff. And I, I do think, you know, there was a, there's a couple of songs on there that were written just specifically because Geffen's like, we're not releasing this unless we got something for radio. And the, you get that kind of pressure, you know? Mm, yeah. And so it's like, oh, well, I mean, we we would do a lot of what we want and we'd give them a little, but uh, it, it's kind of like you almost have to. That's what happens when you get in the, in the big money game, you know? They're spending $300,000, $400,000 on this record, and they want us up, they got something to say about it. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a much harder when you get into that position. It's much cooler when I mean I, I you'd almost find it better off to be a little smaller label, you know, when you look back at it. But it's uh, you got to play the game, the corporate damn game. Yeah, yeah, and it sucks. <laughs> I don't know. I'm about the art, not about that. Right. Yeah. Now you know we you know you mentioned Aerosmith a little bit ago, and one of the things that uh, you know when I when I think about one certain thing in, in music is I and I put you and Steven Tyler in the same bucket, and that is guys that were drummers that migrated over to being singers. And I'm not even sure if a lot of people know that you're that you're a drummer. Did you like Steven? kind of during songwriting process, maybe say, hey, I think the drum part should go like this, or hey, can I show you this part? I'd like it to go like this and stuff. Did you kind of have some of the input on the drumming as well? Yeah, I, I can't help it, you know. I mean, <laughs> it's just, it. I, I can't shut up about it, you know. For the most part, Pete played really well. He played his stuff, and I let him do his thing. But if I heard something that I just thought had to be, I, I can't shut up about it, you know. Yeah. Because well, that's, that's a drummer thing. And I could just go in and sing the part to him, you know. So play it like this, you know, just, just kind of sing it with my mouth and he'd get it, you know. And, uh, and luckily, he didn't, you know, would have pissed at me for that or any, any time. He, he listened. Sure. I, I would imagine, too, that, you know, you're you're writing the song and, and you've probably got the drum part in your head already unlike some people who might just be thinking about a vocal line and a melody line or something and it's that you know that odd thing of that yeah you've really kind of got a nice drum pattern worked out in your head and how do you express that so that's that's pretty cool to, i think to have that yeah it's it's true i mean sometimes i would i would tell him no do this double time or something you know and he'd go i never would have thought of that mm. but i I'm, I'm like guitar and i'm writing the thing or i'm writing it with tommy and yeah well i'm writing the lyrics and the melodies and all that stuff i definitely hear a drum pattern but oddly enough he he would usually hear pretty similar to what I would hear. Very rarely would I, you know, want to want to suggest something, you know. 
And sometimes he could do something that I'd go like, wow, I wouldn't have thought of that, you know. So that's the cool thing about being a fan, you know. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so just uh, one final thing for me, Jamie, on on the Without Love album. How much of it do you actually play live now when you go out and do shows? Um, It varies. I mean, we always play Miss Mystery pretty much. We play Rock Around Heaven's Door. We play Stop the Lightning. Those are the the main three that we we play quite a bit. I mean, if it's a if it's a full set, a headlining set, then we'll probably do all three of those. We play Without Love. Um, you know, this is the weird thing about being in a band. There's a couple of guys in the band that they have a weird thing about it because they're well, that's not that's not just a black and blue song. That's Jim Balance, Jamie St. James song. It was so what? I mean, it's a great song. Yeah. But that's the thing. It, it, guys get kind of funny over the years. Years go by, and it's like. They think, you know, dude, uh, that's that's all my lyrics and melodies, you know? <laughs> but anyway, sure. I have to, pull teeth, have to pull teeth sometimes to get us to play that one, but we do play that as well. And yeah. there's a lot of people that love to hear that song. We, I hear it all the time. But those are probably the four we play the most of. The rest, I mean, we have played a song called uh, We Got the Fire Every Now and Then, and we are doing the Monsters of Rock Cruise this year, and I believe we're going to play Nature of the Beach for the first time ever. because, as I, as I mentioned before, there's a lot of vocals on the record. Yeah, we, we've learned to be able to pull it off. Uh, Patrick, you know, Tommy Thayer used to sing with me quite a bit, most, most all the background, and he's gone now, obviously, and kids. Mm-hmm. So Patrick has really stepped it up and does really well with doing uh, harmonies with me, and we, we, we can pull it off. Um, Strange Things uh, never played it live. I don't know if we ever could. It, this, this would be a really tough one. And we don't, we never use backing tracks. It's all real. Nice. So um, all the ones that we do, that we do them, they, they sound just fine. Um, Nature of the Beach is going to be a, 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 another story. We're going to try to pull that one off and see how we do. I, I think it will be fine because, I, I, you know, the, the the harmonies are big on the record, but you can still pull it off live without doing all those, you know, all, like three, four parts like I did on some of that. Yeah, so do you have a favorite track on the album? 
Strange things. Strange things. Uh, yeah, it definitely does have a Queen influence because when I heard it, I was like, oh yeah, that definitely has a bit of Queen on that with the with the vocals, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that was done on purpose. I totally ripped them off. <laughs> I, I don't think I think a lot of other bands have done the same thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and some with not very good results, and but uh, you know, I can't say that about Black and Blue. Well done. And of course, we appreciate the hell out of you, you know, coming on and, and taking part in this little mountain project. But we can't let you get away without uh, being able to uh, plug, you know, everything else you got going on. Because I know you're a busy guy in the business, and um, you know, Lord knows where you're gonna pop up next. So, uh, uh, what's Jamie St. James up to right now? Just a reminder of when we actually did this interview. We're talking December 11th back in 2015, so a lot has happened since then, although a lot of the band projects that Jamie's about to talk to are still relevant. But as I said, listener beware, a little bit dated here on the info. Uh, I am doing uh, you know, black and blue shows. I'm going to be next week up in Portland, Oregon, playing with Warrant, my old bandmates there, and uh, Jack Russell's Great White. We're doing a big radio the big radio show in town's uh, Christmas party is going to be a, probably going to sell out here any day. Great gig there, and we're of course doing the Monsters of Rock cruise this year. We've got other stuff lined up. Some of them I can't talk about because they don't like us to give away things before they do. <laughs> but uh, we're, we we got a lot of stuff going on. I have a, another project called Let It Rock, and that's with uh, other players. Uh, Stacy Blades from LA Guns is on guitar. Mm -hmm. Jeff Duncan and Oz Fox from Striper play. Uh, uh, Jeff Duncan from Lover Saint. Uh, Sean McNabb from Dawkin, Great White. And Jimmy DeAnda from Bullet Boys and Drums. And Scott Coogan, who's playing with Ace Freely right now, is on drums. We mix up the guys. It's mainly me and Stacy go out and play. And then those guys are interchangeable. Depends on who's on tour. And we do basically from all our perspective bands, you know, our respective bands, I mean, like we do some Black and Blue, do some Ellie Guns, we'll do some Little Boys, we'll do some, you know, Striper if he's playing, or, and we do maybe some, and we mix in some other stuff. Um, when Sean's there, we play Dawkin, and then we play some original stuff that we're doing. We released a song called American Rebels on iTunes and Amazon, and you can buy that, you know, it's just a single, uh, just to write and, and see what happens. It's just like a side project. It's to keep me busy, because... You can't practice being a front man in your living room. You got to be out in front of people. That's you know? right. That's right. Yeah. And so, does uh, Sean Duncan ever uh, request that you guys do some Odin? No, <laughs> uh, we could do some Odin if you want to watch us too. Uh, that, that would be that would be a problem. We do a really cool song from by Armored Saint called uh, "Last Train Home." That's nice. Cool, That's nice. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Great song. Yeah, uh, it's great, and it's it's, it's it's kind of fun for me to sing all that stuff. I even do a, a Warrant song since I was in Warrant for four years, so we do Uncle Tom's Cabin. And it's just a, a lot of fun, you know. Um, on another note, Black and Blue just played our first show in England in 30 years at Firefest. Oh, and in Nottingham, isn't it? Nottingham, yes. yeah. The only show we only show we ever played in England was when we were recording the first album, wasn't even out yet, played Hammersmith Odeon Open for Whitesnake. And nobody even knew who we were. So really, it's the first time we ever played in Europe, period. In, and in 30 years, they've been waiting. And I got to tell you, it was overwhelming and emotional for me. Because people loved us. They loved us. I, they were just, I, I couldn't believe, I go, wow, I, I didn't know what to expect. And they just, I, I was just in love with the night. It was surprising and, and overwhelmingly great. 
Excellent. Right. That's Excellent. awesome. Yeah. Now, Jamie, you mentioned you played with Whitesnake. Was that the um, the slided in tour with Cozy Powell, John Sykes, Neil Murray? Was that that tour? Yes. Oh, yeah, so that, so and I think, and uh, wasn't John Lord with them? I yeah, think so too? I think they just released a, a CD of that tour recently. So you actually, yeah, played, um, you played with the guys on that tour. I sure did. Okay, oh, wow, <laughs> I'm sure you were in. The, I'm sure you were in the audience watching them play that night. I loved them so much. I went to their show when I went back to Germany to, to keep recording. I went, I went and saw them in Essen, but they played there as well. It's a great band. Oh yeah, super band, super band. Yeah. I, um, yeah, that was pretty, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. Awesome. Definitely. Uh, you've definitely lived a life. So that's, uh, that's, that's cool to be able to play with a, a lineup like that. That's, that's legendary stuff. And, uh, this kind of stuff you never yeah. forget. Yeah. So Jamie, fun, all right. I, I said final question a few minutes ago, but this is my, this he my, does this all the time. This all, it's I, good for about five final <laughs> questions. It's an, it's an Irish thing. He thinks the accent people don't notice that he keeps doing this, but, uh, <laughs> Right, the so, show's called Final Question. All right, final question. Yeah, you, you said you was a first, you've toured. You did one show in London years ago, and then another one thirty years later. You obviously yeah. over the years, you obviously wanted to play over there. Was it just record company politics prevented you from all going over there to play shows? No, I, I mean we were always open to it. For some reason, the opportunity never came, and and I really don't know why. We were constantly touring in America. And I don't know. I don't. I don't. I. I always thought there really wasn't much interest for us over there. And uh, you know, I thought, well, they're just after enough time in this life. I thought, well, they don't even know who we are. That's yeah. why when I just did that show, I was so blown away. Especially, I talked to a lot of people afterwards. You know, it's just like been waiting forever. And I could see them out there singing along. You know, and it was a great crowd, real great response. I, you know, I really don't have an explanation why we hadn't gone that go gone over there any sooner. It's, it's really crazy now that I just played that show. I go, what the hell were we waiting for? Yeah, well, take it, but, from, take it from me, Jamie. When I was growing up in Ireland years ago, and I was buying albums from the, your band and all the other bands, and they never used to come over and tour. There was always an audience there, always. And it used to really bum, it really bum me out that I, oh, none of these bands used to come over and like they'd all just tour the States and then they'd bring out an album and they'd tour the States. And I, I, was, I always used to think, like, Christ's sake, why am I giving all these bands the money? I can't even go and see any of them live. <laughs> the bastards. Exactly. <laughs> he's he's making up well, for it I... now, though. He, he goes and sees all these bands. He tells his, his mates back in Ireland, hey, guess who I saw? Hey, yeah. guess who I saw this week? Hey, guess who I saw this week? True. And then, now they're all calling him the bastard. So, you know, yeah. it's come around. He's doing the same thing. You're joining us, bastard. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I'm really glad that I did get over there, and hopefully, the promoter for the for the show told me he said, "You know, that was a great audition. If you want to come back, because there was a lot of the promoters from a lot of the festivals that were here tonight, nice. and we really would. I mean, a lot of people said we were like had the great, the best show in the whole festival. So I uh, gotta think that uh, we'll be back. That's Excellent. what I'm gonna say. Excellent, great. So I'm sure that yeah. uh, our listeners over in. Uh, our, our UK syndicate will be uh, very happy to hear that. I'm sure that uh, they're uh, all waiting for the, the return of Black and Blue to their shores. So that's great. Well, the UK passed my audition. They rock. Awesome. There we go. So um, once again, Jamie, it's been a blast having you on. And we're uh, you know very thankful you were able to take a little bit of time and help contribute to this project. And it's probably been one of the most fun interviews we've had of of the 
whole, and we've done a ton of them so far of managers and engineers and everybody, but uh, this one's been a blast. Yeah, we've, we've done nine interviews now. <laughs> <laughs> so. All right. Well, best of luck with everything, and thanks for including me. Uh, I guess uh, lucky me. I recorded a little mountain. I made it in. All right, Jamie. Well, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. No problem, guys. Best of luck. Thanks a lot. Do you have a website anyone can hit you up with? Um, I have a website that I don't go much on any, don't go to on it anymore, really, but jamiestjames.com. And, you know, the black and blue Facebook is, is basically what we use okay. mostly. But All right. Do you use Twitter at all? I have a Twitter at, at jamiestjames. There we go. Okay. So... Good. So, guys, you want to keep up with them? Uh, that's the way to go. Uh, Jamie St. James on Twitter, and uh, that way there you can get your news direct. So, awesome. All right. We'll have a safe ride the rest of the way home, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Take All right. care. All right, Later. Jamie. Thank Bye. you. All right. Bye-bye. That will do it for Little Mountain Sound Episode 8. I think at this point we're looking at, what, three more episodes to complete this bad boy? At the rate we're fitting this in, I'm going to be shocked if we finish it before the end of the year. Anyways, I hope that you enjoyed our talk with Jamie St. James. Make sure you look him up on Facebook as well as Twitter and at uh, jamiestjames.com, even though he says he doesn't go there much. Next week, we will be back to a normal focus on metal episode, unless for some reason I just go insane and decide to throw two weeks of Little Mountain Sound, but we have lots of other stuff to play for you, so I'm pretty confident that next week we'll be back to a normal focus on metal. In the meantime, as I always tell you, keep up with us at focusonmetal.net, focusonmetal.blogspot.com, on Facebook, on Twitter. If you want to email us, you can email us at shout at focusonmetal.net that's it there ain't no more stick a fork in it this puppy is done we have got to get out of here in mere moments because we have to blast up to salisbury to catch lynch mob live at splash tonight so for richie myself and everyone else here at focus on metal as usual have yourselves a great metal week and until we talk to you again next week remember focus on metal everything else is insignificant.